Welcome to the Dwelling Place Church audio podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's message. We pray God speaks to you today through this message and through His Word. For more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org. Now, it's time to listen to this week's message. I want you to go with me in your Bible, 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3, if you have a Bible. I want to read one verse of Scripture in your hearing. This is one text, actually two verses of Scripture. We've been in a series the last four weeks called Assurance. Everybody say Assurance. That was very weak. Everybody say Assurance. How can I know for sure that I am saved? We know that God loves us and God wants real love to grow in the soil of security. And so God wants us to know that we are saved. He wants us to have that assurance. So I want to read 1 John chapter 3, verse 19, and I want to talk to you about your heart. Everybody say, my heart. I want to talk to you about the relationship you have with your heart, with your soul. Now, if you're just joining us brand new to the series, this is an epistle written from the beloved John, John the Beloved. John was a best friend of Jesus. John laid his head on Jesus' chest many times, particularly at the moment of Jesus' betrayal. John was found there in the upper room leaning on Jesus' chest. He, he felt the bottom, the top of his head, felt the beard, so to speak, of Jesus. He heard the ventricles of the heart of Jesus beating. I mean, this is a man who was intimate with our Lord. He's now 60 years removed from Jesus' resurrection. We call him Grandpa John. He's Grandpa John, and he's writing to the church in Ephesus. He's living in Ephesus. He's writing to the church in Asia Minor some things that he needs to communicate. He writes these words in verse 19. By this we shall know. Everybody say no. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure, there's the word, assurance, reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, and it will, it will, it really will condemn you. It really will speak to you. It really will speak words of condemnation to you. God, he said, is greater than our hearts, comma, and he knows everything. Would you pray with me? Holy God, in these moments, meet and encounter us. I speak on behalf of these people, Lord, that we are humble enough to declare we need you. We need help. We are unable to live the life you want us to live apart from the empowerment of your spirit. We are unable to see ourselves in the light of your glory unless your spirit opens our eyes. So show us your love in these moments we have. We praise you. We thank you for your grace, Jesus. We thank you for your love and mercy to us. We give you praise for it in Jesus' name. Everybody sit. Can you remember your least favorite job you ever had? I mean, like, what was your least favorite job? Your most despised Hated job. Now, in my lifetime, I've had two major jobs. I've had several small jobs, but my life, in terms of career and process and job, has not been that complex. I had a lot of awesome jobs. I remember one of my first jobs was serving at a daycare. That was not so much an awesome job for me, and kids don't mix very well unless they're my own. Sorry, it's just the way it works. But uh, I was around babies that could roll faster than you can run. Come on, that's scary. You know what I'm talking about? They can roll faster across the floor. I mean, that's just a scary reality. And so uh, that wasn't for me. I, I've, I had another job that I really, really loved. It was doing yard work. I really loved that, working with my hands. That was something that I really, really enjoyed. Uh, I've served in ministry in multiple contexts. I remember when I first, my wife and I first moved to uh, North Cleveland Church of God in 2010. It was one of my least favorite jobs or parts of the job that I had. You say, Craig, what do you mean? Well, long before they paid some custodians to clean up individual rooms after every church service, whoever was the pastor of that room, that was your domain. Because I was serving in two ministries. We were in a facility about 150 or so thousand square feet. And so in that 150,000 square foot church, um, I was over a room that was about this big called a high school room, an elevation room. And then uh, I would do that at 6.30, I would preach and get done at about 8.15, then I would walk down to the other end of the building, we'd start service at 8.45, and I'd be there to midnight. Oftentimes, for about five years of my life, preaching two different messages, and um, I never forget, because I had to clean up afterwards, that was a, a tough job. That was one of those least favorite parts of the job. Now, again, it's the conundrum of leadership, but I took it upon myself to say, I'm going to help clean, because I was trying to set the standard for the rest of the team that it's okay 
to even be exhausted and still do some work. And so we would clean up. But I never forget, man, it was, it was, it was tough. I, I don't know how to say this. Um, other than that, I can just say college students are messy. Okay, so we'd have a couple hundred college students come in on a Wednesday night, preach to them, get done, we'd have a party, and then it would come time for the end of the night, it's like midnight, it's like time to go home, you're exhausted, and it's like, nope, it's time for Ghostbusters, baby. We put on the backpacks, and it's like us and the leaders standing in the lobby, and we're like, oh, dear God, we've got to clean this up, right? And because I was a part of an aging church, we had funerals about every 30 minutes, so we had about 72 people die per week. I'm not even kidding, I'm I'm not kidding about that, and that's not a derogatory statement, I'm just saying it was a part of a mothership church in our denomination, we had deaths all the time. And our sanctuary was the death sanctuary. It was the funeral parlor, okay? And so what that meant is we had to put up chairs, take down chairs, put up chairs, take down chairs, get it away, go to a new the deal. There's a big wig in the church, dies, needs a funeral Wednesday night, we get moved to another place. You know what I'm saying? It's this life of ministry. And I remember so often, I'm like, oh, Lord Jesus, you know, it'll be the end of this long night, and something odd started happening to me. I'm a pastor wanting a lot of people to come to the service, but the more people that trickle in the door, I'm like, oh, my God, this is going to be a nightmare. You know, like you go out in the lobby, and it's like a girl's line is out the door. It's like, oh, there's a line. There's a line. You know what I'm saying? And we would, like, flip coins to who was going to clean the girl's bathroom. You know what I'm saying? That's not high on the totem pole list of priorities. So I remember thinking, oh, this is going to be tough trying to clean thousands of square feet only less than a week later. All of it to be trashed again. You know what I'm saying? It's like while you're cleaning up, you know somebody's going to drop coffee right in that spot in like 48 hours. It's a, it's a horrible feeling, to be honest with you. Maybe you feel this way as a parent. You're picking up your house all the time. You're OCD. you got small children. You're picking up your house. You're following behind them with toys. You're the OCD Nazi, and you literally clean the house for 30 minutes of sanity, and then you do it all over again. You do it again and again and again and again. Right? So I started thinking about this verse this week and this reality because I was looking at this scripture. And this scripture from John, of course, speaks of what you should do when you feel like giving up. What should you do? What will be the antidote when you are ready to throw in the towel? And my job as a pastor at North Cleveland was a pretty solid metaphor for our spiritual journey. I don't know. Have you ever intended to say to the Lord, hey, Man, Jesus, I'm really going to follow Jesus this time. I'm making a commitment. I'm going to lean into this. This is my year of discipline. I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to live holy. I'm going to live pure. I'm going to lean into this. Pastor Craig, I'm going to send in church again. I'm going to start attending church. I'm going to go to connect group. I'm going to underline verses in my Bible. I'm going to pray for 22 minutes. I'm going to read the Old Testament, New Testament. I'm going to clean up my life as they say. And maybe it feels like after all the hard work you put into it, you finally cleaned the 150,000 square feet of your soul, of your heart, and your spirit, and you're like, I'm doing it, I'm doing it, don't want to look at me, I may fall, I may fall, but I'm doing it, I'm doing it, I'm doing it, I'm making it, I'm making it, I'm I'm making progress, look at this, I'm becoming the person I always wanted to be, look God, look, 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 I'm becoming who you want me to be, and then in one day, one weekend in Atlanta, One trip to Vegas, one beach trip in July, one bad decision, 150,000 square foot of your spirit is trashed again. I remember standing there on late Wednesday nights, it would be about midnight, and we're standing there, you know, with our Ghostbuster backpack vacuums on. I'm like, oh, dear God, send us the magic now. Would you transport us? Cinderella, would you come with your mice and help us pick up all the crumbs? You know, it's like, come on. It's that overwhelming feeling like, again, I can't do it again, Pastor Craig. It's too much. And if I do it again, it will get messy again. Have you ever felt that way about your life? I'm going to try so hard. This is my year. And eventually, you come to the all-wise conclusion, it's pointless. It's useless. I can't keep living like this, Pastor Craig. I can't do it. I can't keep attempting to be spiritual. I can't keep attempting to be like I'm a disciple. I can't keep attempting to be godly. I can't keep attempting to be holy, only to see myself to take two steps forward every Sunday and three steps backwards every Monday. I can't do it. Did you know that there are people here this morning 
that are not here this morning, I should say, that are not in church, that literally we've, we've invested time, energy, effort over the last few weeks to get people here today to be a part of this fall festival today, and they're not in church this morning, but they considered to come into church last night, but they woke up this morning because their mind and their heart and their soul is telling them it's pointless. Being a Christian works for somebody else, but it won't work for you. You've already tried it before, and you're flat on your face. Why are you doing it? It's pointless. It's useless. Clean the 150,000 square feet. It'll be trash to give my Monday. Why are you doing it? Don't do it. Don't do it. Just lay in bed. It's the holiday season. Get some rest. It's cold outside. We skipped fall. We went straight from summer to winter. There's no sense in getting up. Might as well stay under the covers. Stay warm. Just stay there. And there are people not in church this morning because their heart is condemning them. Their heart is saying it's useless. It's pointless. I mean, honestly, have you ever felt like giving up? If you haven't felt like giving up, you're either a clone or a drone. But for the rest of us humans, any humans besides pastor in the room? For us humans, we feel like giving up sometimes. Now, I'm not talking about giving up necessarily on your job. I'm not talking about giving up your workouts at Lifetime Fitness. I'm not talking about giving up your routine. I'm talking about giving up spiritually. Or maybe some of you, you've gone to the length of seriously giving up your life on earth. interesting time of year, isn't it? October, November, December. It's holiday season. It's an emotional time of year. It just is. Holidays are emotional, aren't they? Most suicides in our entire nation take place from about December 23rd to December 30th. Why? It's the jolly time of the year. No, it's an emotional time of the year. And most of the emotions are attached to painful family memories. Very lonely, isolating time emotions are. Emotions are tough in holiday seasons. So as I was driving this week, I just thought, you know what, God? This is the last week of the series. We need to talk about what it feels like when you are so way behind spiritually. If you're in the room this morning and you feel way behind spiritually, you feel like you're in the spiritual remedial class spinning your wheels and everybody else is moving forward. You feel like you're way too far gone for this. You're way too late for you. Who do you think you are? This is a facade. You're not a believer. Stop going to church. You call yourself a Christian. Look at you. Listen to how you speak to yourself. If that's you this morning, if you haven't experienced that, by the way, you will. Merry Christmas. That's encouraging, isn't it? Merry Christmas. You will. You'll feel that way. Time is coming. All of us will. I was talking to some guys this week, and I said, I don't know how you put a percentage to it, but let me just be honest with you. I would say about 30% of the time, I don't feel like standing on this stage and preaching to you. Not because I don't like to preach. Preaching is my number one thing I like to do in all of earth. It is. I love it with all that I've got. But I don't feel like getting up here about 30% of the time because I'm absolutely, completely disqualified and I'm completely exhausted because of my sin that I keep committing against my wife and my sin where I keep blowing up against my kids and my shortcomings and my failures and my idiosyncrasies and my weaknesses. I never get away from them. They continue to happen. Continue to allow my heart to condemn me. I don't know about you. Have you ever just felt like you're done being me? Like I'm done being me. Been me too long. I'm done being, it's so hard. It's trying, it's pointless. And you feel like you're flat on your back. Well, my question for you today, let me ask you a real important question is, why will you get up next time? Say, Pastor Gray, I'm going to get up. My question is, why will you get up? Or what will cause you to get up again? I don't understand a lot about life. I consider myself to be relatively young. I'm 31 years old, 32 next week. Been married 10 years, got three kids, three offspring, beautiful offspring. But, but, but I don't, listen, when I say all that to say, I consider myself to be reasonably young. I don't know a lot about life, but I noticed something about life. Something's become very apparent to me about life. And that is this. I have noticed that when you witness this, it becomes reality. Generally, people who do well on planet Earth are people who just know how to get up. Generally, people on planet Earth who do well are people who just know how to get back up. Because we all are going to fall. And they know how to get back up even when there are people around them who wish they'd stay down. Even when they're surrounded by people who want them to stay down. So my question for you this morning is you're going to be that 
Are you going to be the kind of person that gets back up again? And if so, why? If you came in here this morning and you say, you know what, Pastor Craig, the Spirit of the Lord has struck me, I'm going to make a comeback. This is my morning. I'm going to have another go. I'm going to clean it up again. I'm going to clean the building. I'm going to clean the 150,000 square feet of my soul. I'm going to trust God again. I'm going to believe God again. I'm going to love God again. I'm going to follow after God again. My question is, why are you going to get back up again? Of course, this is what John's talking about. Remember the context to which John writes. John is writing to us, telling us we are to live and love like Jesus. Now, y'all, when we try to venture to say, okay, God, I'm ready to live a selfless life of unconditional love for people who are not so lovely and they don't deserve my love, if you venture out to love like Jesus and live like Jesus, you will fail. There will be moments where you fail. You're going to fail at this venture. And you will have days where you don't love well. And if you do love well, you won't live well. And you will have days where your heart will tell you, you're a fake, Craig. You're a phony. You are a crook. You are not real. You are not a Jesus person. Everybody else at Dwelling Place sitting next to you on your road right now is a Jesus person. But you're not. You're phony. You're not saved. Your heart's far from God. You will not enter eternity. You are a person that it doesn't work for heart will condemn you and you'll feel down and notice what John says whenever our heart condemns us that about sums up life doesn't it how many of you know your heart can condemn you whenever and it can condemn you for whatever whenever whatever that's the condemnation all of a sudden nowhere out of nowhere man you've been hitting on all cylinders you're like a brand new Honda Pilot straight off of the the show floor baby I mean you your eight-stroke engine is moving You're doing good for Jesus, and bam, one day, one decision, one bad weekend. All of a sudden, here comes your heart. Here he comes. He's going to start preaching to you a little mini-sermon inside your soul. And here's, you know what's so crazy about your heart? This is in your notes. This This is so crazy about your heart. Your heart is the nearest, dearest, closest voice in your being. Your heart is your nearest, dearest, closest voice in your being. It's certainly the most familiar voice you know. People say, is that person talking to himself? Yeah, you do too. We all do. You talk to you more than anybody else talks to you. You talk to you all the time. Your heart preaches you messages. You know, when you get a subscription to a podcast, like Dwelling Place, every Monday that thing pops right in your inbox. Well, that's not true with your heart. Your heart speaks to you about every, uh, about three seconds. There's a whole other download and a whole other download. You just, you, just, you just live on life on earth, and you've got a subscription to your heart. And your heart, before you know it, it'll start preaching. You're like, man, that little heart knows something about me. What in the world? He's been watching me or something. And he's speaking to you and podcasting to you and speaking to you and condemning you and speaking to you and condemning you and you're like man I'm gonna live for Jesus and you start faltering a little bit and you missing here and there and here comes your heart and if you podcast the heart it'll preach to you consistently it'll start telling you about who you really are and he said whenever our heart condemns us God is greater than our heart now that's interesting statement to me now, I'm going to turn a corner in my sermon. Let me, let, me, let me just move on just a little bit here. Whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. It's as if we actually needed to know that. It's as if, like nowhere else in the Bible does a scripture say, God is greater than my hands. Because I've never for one moment thought my hands are greater than God. There's no scripture in the Bible that says God is greater than your hair. Because never for one moment in my life have I ever thought my hair was greater than my God. There's no scripture in the Bible that said God is greater than your feet. Because never at any moment have I thought my feet was greater than God. There's no scripture in the Bible that says God is greater than your colon. Because I never thought that my colon was greater than my God. No, the scripture says God is greater than your career. No, it never says that because I never thought my career was greater than God. The Bible says that God is greater than your heart. John, inspired by the Holy Spirit, felt the need to delineate and deliver a message and to give us clearly that God is greater than your heart. Why, Pastor Craig? Because oftentimes your heart feels like the most powerful force in the universe, and your heart would love to tell you, ain't nobody and no thing greater than me. Ain't no no voice greater than my condemning voice. There ain't no voice that can overpower my voice, and your heart will try to lie to you. So John feels the need to tell you God is greater than your heart. 
Because so, see, what your heart will do is he'll say, you better listen to me. You better listen. You better shut up and listen to me. What is the heart? You say, Craig, what's the heart? What's well, tough to define? Scholars have debated this and a lot of theological books for the last 2,000 years. But for the sake of the message, let me tell you what our heart is. Our heart is our mind. It's our will and our emotions. It's the seatbed of the soul. That's what the heart is. It's mind. It's the will and the emotions. Let me speak to them in just a minute. Your, your, your mind, your thoughts. Your mind wants you to think that the most powerful voice in your being is your thoughts. Your mind wants to lie to you and tell you that your thoughts are who you really are. Your thoughts want you to think they are the most powerful. Have you ever had just those crazy thoughts pop up in your head? Am I the only one? It's like, oh, dear Jesus, thank you so much that I have no reader board on my forehead or I would be flat embarrassed. I mean, come on, anybody? What if, what if we had a reader board Sunday where, like, every thought you had the last seven days was up on the screen during worship? Wouldn't that be awesome? No! Right? And your thoughts try to tell you they're greater than your God. Your mind, which is your heart, tries to convince you it's greater than your God. And then your heart starts to condemn you and tell you you aren't legitimate, you aren't a believer. Look at what you're thinking about. Your heart, not only is your mind, it's your will. What is your will? Your will is the seat of decisions. It's the seat of decisions. Have you ever thought, man, there is no way I'm a Jesus follower based on the succession of my last seven decisions? There's no way I'm a Jesus follower based on these decisions. And then what happens is your decisions or your will starts trying to convince you it's greater than God. So you believe things like this. My decisions are my reality. That's who I am. It's more than real than anything in that book. What you did, you're a product of your decisions. You're a product of a one-night stand. You're a product of an alcoholism. That's who you are. That's what your identity is. You are, you are what you do. And then your, your will starts trying to preach a message to you. It says that you, you and your will are greater. Your lack of good decisions is greater than your God. And so then what it tells you is, oh, yeah, yeah, who you are is more important than what Jesus says. You, you're just your reality. You're, you're just a part of your decisions. Oh, yeah, yeah, who you are is, is more than anything more powerful than anything you heard about Jesus, your decisions decide your future. Just face it. Stop trying to act like a phony Christian. Your will starts preaching to you a message. What else is the heart? Your emotions. Yo, it's 2017. What is more real than my feelings? Get around young people today. They're like, live your truth. What does that mean? Live however you feel. That's who you are. Dare I say you got feelings in the same way consistently over a period of years? That's who you are. You get a homosexual feeling, you are a homosexual. You shouldn't deny that. You should fall into it, fall prey to it, because that's who you are. To buck that feeling would mean you are disauthentic and disingenuous. You are your feelings. Oh, you feel like an raging alcoholic? That's who you are. Don't try to buck that. That's disingenuous. You just need to live your truth, as our culture says. You are your feelings. You are your emotions. There's nothing higher than the truth of the feelings. Come on, y'all. It's 2017. Who is God? Who is America's God? Feelings. That's why we're America, home of the offended. That's why the, uh, Facebook is an offense fest. Because everybody feels entitled and everybody's prideful about their own feelings. Listen, your level of offendability is directly proportional to your level of pride. People who are not prideful don't get offended. People who are offended all the time are prideful. And they believe in their own feelings. They listen to their own feelings. They live their own feelings. That's, that's a dead giveaway. So that's what we are in America. Live your truth. Live your feelings. People say, I'm going to keep it real, Pastor Craig. I'm going to do what I feel. I'm like, that is a Horrible way to live. God Almighty. I don't feel it. You get around some people like, I don't feel God. Look at that guy. See him crying. Oh, the overwhelming, reckless love of God. Everybody else, I'm like, dear God, are these people stuck up with needles or what in the world's going on? I don't feel nothing. I don't feel it. That's where I spend most of my life. I don't feel it either. His faith ain't about feeling. We're going to go somewhere. He said, when your feelings pretend to be bigger than God, God is greater than your heart. You know that. God is greater than your feelings. To deny my feelings in America would be to deny who I am at my core. Consistent feelings, dare I say, prove that's who I am. That's my identity. For me to question my feelings, Pastor Craig, would be fundamentally disingenuous. Wasn't it the revolutionary Martin Luther? We are on Revel Reformation Weekend Tuesdays 
Reformation Day. It's not Halloween, by the way. In the Moscow household, it's Reformation Day. When Martin Luther took 95 theses and he tacked them on the door at church in Wittenberg. And, and if, if the Reformers had their way, and if we were to celebrate the Reformation the way the Reformers would want us to, today would be a whole lot less about the Reformation and a whole lot more about the gospel. That's why I'm preaching the gospel. And Martin Luther, who started the Reformation, you know what he said? He said, feelings come, feelings go. Feelings are deceiving. My warrant is the word of God. None else is worth believing. That's my warrant. The word of God. God is greater than how you feel. Come on, somebody say amen. See, he says, follow your feelings. That's what the culture tells you. In other words, follow your heart. Y'all, that's the worst blueprint for existence on earth. Come on, that's what we say, don't we? Like, follow your heart, young man. Like, dear God, question your heart. How would you, why would you tell somebody to follow your heart? Jeremiah 17, 9, look what he says. He says, the heart is deceitfully wicked. And the heart is, is deceitful above all things. It lies all the time. It's got the flu year round. Who can understand the heart? I don't even know. What? Ah! What is my heart? You're telling me to follow my heart. I don't even know what my heart is, Craig. I... He's telling people. Ever been surprised by yourself? Ever been, you know what I'm talking about, like, woo, I didn't know that was in there. Thank God nobody at church saw that, you know what I'm saying? I didn't know that hung out under the left lung there, but that sure did come out in the middle of that traffic jam there, you know? You ever done that before? It's like, whoa, I didn't know that was in there. Thank God, is any from dwelling place around? Oh, okay, we're good. All right, thank you, Jesus. You know what I'm talking about? What is in your Heart. Heart. We don't even know our own heart. What a conundrum we are as human beings. We are a conundrum. It was Paul that said in Romans 7, listen, I feel like a slave to my own thoughts. That's my mind. I feel like a slave to my own willpower. That's my will. I feel like a slave to my emotions. That's my emotions. That's my heart. I feel like a slave to my heart. He says, who can deliver me? Who in the world is going to deliver me? And he says, who's going to help me down here? People say, what's wrong with me on earth? And John wants to set the record straight, church. God is greater than your hearts. He's greater than your heart. Oh, thank God. He is greater than my heart. God, thank God he's greater than my thoughts. Thank God that he's greater than my dumb decisions. Thank God that he's greater than my lack of diligence. Thank God that he's greater than my embarrassing impulses. God is greater. God is transcendent. He is beyond. He is before my heart. God is greater than my heart. You mean God's thoughts are more powerful than my thoughts are? Yep, that's exactly what I mean. That's why the psalmist said in Psalm 103, he said, when I consider your thoughts towards me, I love this. He said, when I consider how your thoughts come towards me, they are higher. Look at Psalm 103 verse 11. He says, they are high, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is God's steadfast, never changing love for those who know him. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 16, he says, we've come to know and believe the love. Everybody say, the love that God has for us. We don't know how to explain it, but God has let our hearts sense it. Anybody sense God's love this morning? That's the fullness of his spirit. Let me show you where Paul makes the distinction, and Paul makes the point. He says in Ephesians chapter 3, he says, I pray, I love this, I pray, I, I commission, I pray that you may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Listen to me. The fullness of the Holy Spirit is being filled with the knowledge of the love of God. If you say you're spirit filled, that means you are full of God's love. That's what the scripture just said. You are full of the love of God, the fullness of God in you. That's what John's saying. He's saying the sign that you are filled with the spirit is that you are filled with a sense of the love of God, the love of God that's greater than your fractured thoughts, the love of God that's greater than your bad decisions. So John then returns to the point he made at the beginning. In verse 16, he said, God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God in him. That makes sense, right? He's saying it's inconceivable to say that you have experienced God's love and not be loving yourself. It's incomprehensible to say that you have been touched by God's love and you not be full of love. He goes on in 1 John 4, 19, he says, we love because he first loved. Listen to me, church. If you don't hear me say anything else, listen to me. 
He says, if anyone, verse 20, loves, says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. It is inconceivable that you could encounter the power, the love, and the grace and not be filled with love yourself. Anyone in the Bible who is given a glimpse by the Spirit of God and to the love of God, they walk away staggered without any words to it. They don't know how to speak about it. They're literally laying before God when they get a glimpse of the love of God by the Spirit. That's why King David said in Psalm 103, for as high as the heaven, are above the earth so great is your steadfast never changing love for me think about that as high as the heavens are above the earth how do you measure that that's an awfully long measuring tape you science nerds you're gonna like this in a minute you know what to get the edge of our galaxy milky way which is only one small galaxy and among billions of other galaxies if you were traveling at the speed of light it would take you a hundred thousand light years to get to the edge of the milky way galaxy you know how fast light travels? 186,282.2. Thank you, scientists. Who was the one who did that? 0.2 miles per second. 186,282.2 miles per second, which is so fast that watch this. Boom, boom, boom. When I did that, in the time I snapped, the speed of light went around the earth and circumnavigated the earth seven times. Ready? Boom, it did it. 182,282.2 miles per second. Boom, went around the earth seven more times. Boom, around the air. It travels that fast for 100,000 years, and you just got to the edge of the Milky Way galaxy. And astronomers believe there are close to 80 billion galaxies in the universe, which, by the way, a little extra credit here. People say, you're going to get so bored in heaven. Well, there's less than 8 billion people on earth, and if there's 80 billion galaxies, that means every person who's a believer on earth can get at least more than 10 galaxies. So you aren't going to be bored. You're not going to be bored. That means you're going to be traveling all over the universe. We're going to have things to do all for eternity. You don't, you don't believe that kind of stuff? Yeah, just read the scripture. Our God is immense. To get to the edge of the universe, they said, if you were traveling at the speed of light, it would take 15.5 billion years. And that's the analogy God chooses to use to show his love for you. As far as the heavens are above the earth, so God's steadfast love is towards you. That's why Paul said, I want you to get the love of God that surpasses knowledge and get a glimpse of the height and the breadth and the length and the depth of God's love for us. What's the height? I just talked about it. The height of God's love for us. What is the breadth? The breadth is that God's in control and he makes all things work together for the good of you. What is the, de the, the length of God's word? When I think of the length of God's love, I think of the fact that he purposed, God purposed in Christ to, to, to slay him from the foundation of the earth. He purposed him to be dead on my behalf that I might have life in him before I ever came into being. God, that is a long love. That is a deep love. I think of the depth of the love of God. I can't be sure what Paul means when I think of the depth of the love of God. I'm thinking about God wasn't surprised by my sinfulness. I never committed a sin one day and he was like, oop, that one surprised me. Didn't know that one was in your heart. No, he went down into the depth of my being and core and he saved me. He redeemed me. And so here's the thought. I had this thought this week, Anthony. What if when you were single, some of you still single, you had a little label around your neck labeling all of the annoying character traits of your life. Like a warning label on the box of a carton of cigarettes. Jesus General's warning. Is it Surgeon General? Is that right? I hadn't smoked in a long time. Jesus, Jesus General's warnings, all right? So what if it said, like you just walked around and it's like, warning, moody, ferocious morning breath for a lifetime, halitosis on every tooth, Snores, lazy, anger problems, alcoholic for 10 years of our marriage. Occasionally lies if it benefits myself. You'd probably never get a date, would you? <laughs> Why? Because no one goes into a date with unconditional love. The very essence of dating is that you have a conditional love. If you go into a dating relationship with unconditional love, no matter what you do and how you treat me, I'm just going to love you. You are dumb. You are stupido. The very nature of dating is that it's conditional, and you've got to prove that you're worthy of my love. That's what dating is. It's conditional love. There's only been one human relationship in my entire life where the love wasn't like that. And yes, my love was like that for my wife when we first started dating. There's only been one love that was not like that. You know what it was? It was on... January 13, 2010, when a five-pound, two-ounce Jonathan Knox Mossgrove came up out of the belly of Meredith Ann Mossgrove, and I didn't look at him and think, is this one worthy of my love? 
No, I loved him because he was mine. And there's no point in my entire life, no matter what my kids do to me, I'll never look at those three kids and say, you know what? Sorry, Marley. It's just not working out between us. It's not you. It's me. You know, don't you hate when you get that in a dating relationship? It's not you. It's me. He's like, shut up. You know, like, it's not you. It's me. It's, it's not you. It's me. Actually, her faults, if anything, become something that make me love Marley more. I have compassion on her, and I want to help her through her weaknesses. And that's how God's love is for us. Tender, compassionate, unconditional, like a father with a child, but a few billion light years times more than that. The reason, Daddy, you never have conditional love for your son is because the father never has conditional love for you. That's always on the edge. See, now I get it. Now I get why they told me to read my Bible and I met Jesus. It wasn't because it's the thing to do. It's a Christian thing to do. It's because I have so many fractured thoughts, Zay. When I get in God's word, it's the only time where his infinite, pure, faultless thoughts begin to wreak havoc on my tender, fickle, crazy thoughts. My reckless thoughts get overpowered and transformed by his infinite, faultless thoughts towards me. And when I get in God's presence, my will that is so out of whack begins to fall under subjection to his great, awesome, mighty will. So when I spend time in his presence, that's when his love changes me. That's why Richard Baxter, look at your quote on your your sheet in front of you, the great Puritan. He said, is it a small thing in your eyes to be loved by God, to be the son, the spouse, to be the the beloved, the delight of the king of glory? Come on, King, uh, 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 Casey. Think about it. He says, Christian, believe this. Don't, Don't play the keyboard, King. Please don't. Stay back there in the back. Christian, believe this and think about it. Look what he says. You will be eternally embraced. In the arms of the love which was from everlasting and will extend to everlasting. Of the love which brought the Son of God's love from heaven to earth, from earth to the cross, from the cross to the grave, from the grave to glory. That love which was weary, that love which was hungry, that love which was tempted, that love which was scorned, that love which is scourged, that love which was beaten, that love which was spat upon, that love which was weary, that love which was hungry, that which love which was crucified, that love which was pierced. Love, he said, which fasted, love which prayed, love that taught, love that healed, love that wept, love that sweated, love that bled and love that died for you that love will eternally embrace you he said wow when that love begins to permeate my fractured thoughts transformation starts it is inconceivable that you can encounter the love and the the grace and the power of God and not be loving yourself I've used the illustration before, but listen to me. What if just a moment ago when the video happened and it was time to preach and the video ended and I wasn't on stage? And one minute became two minutes and two minutes, three minutes, four minutes, five minutes, five minutes, six minutes. Everybody's like, ooh, this is getting really weird, getting really awkward. Is this like a Quaker service where everybody just opens their Bible and when God speaks to one person, you just take the mic and walk up front? What's going on here? What if about six minutes in, I bust through the door here? Woo! Sweat coming off my brow, my shirt's untucked, which is right now. And uh, and I and I stand up here, I'm like I got mud stains all over me, and my back looks a little out of whack, and, and I'm out of breath, and, and I run up here. Oh, I'm sorry, guys, you won't believe what happened to me. Sorry, dwelling place. I know it's fall festival, I know it's a little cold outside, but this morning, where's King Smith when you need him? I was driving down 575 South. I got on 575 South, and all of a sudden, my back right tire went flat. I pulled off to the side of 575. You won't believe what happened. I got out of the truck, and I got my crowbar, or my little bar, and I started taking off my lug nuts, and one of my lug nuts rolled out into 575. So I said, well, I got to get my lug nut. So I walked out into the lug nut, or 575, grabbed my lug nut, and by that time, I heard beep, beep. It was actually, ah, ah. And I looked up. And a tractor trailer traveling 75 miles an hour, it was right there, it just hit me and ran all over me. But it didn't know that it hit me, didn't know what it hit, so it just backed up and ran over me again. And then it went back forward one more time. And then you know what? I thought, man, I'm really, really hurting. But I got up and I dusted myself off and got the sweat off my brow. And I'm here by God's grace. Thank God I'm here. What would you say? You're a liar. (laughs) You're a liar. Because if I got hit going 75 miles an hour by a Mack truck, You'd say you'd look different. And you'd talk different and your head would be shaped differently. 
And you'd be laying on your back differently. How can you say you've encountered the immensity of the love of God that's higher than the earth and the above for the heavens, and yet you can still look the same and not be loving and not be talking different and walking different and looking different? It is inconceivable to say you've encountered that love and are not completely different. God is greater than your heart. God thinks about you more than you think about you. And his thoughts towards you are pure. I suggest to you that you would use his thoughts about you to transcend your fickle thoughts about you. Can I hear an amen? You need to read God's thoughts about you because they can transform you and you can be different. And these infinite thoughts on top of my fractured thoughts renew my mind. God's decisions are greater than my decisions because God's greater than my heart. God's decisions for my life and God's decision, if I would just simply trust what Jesus' decision for me, I am not what I do. I am what has been done for me, which is on the cross. I am not a product of my decisions. I'm a product of one man's decision, the God-man who died on a cross and died to set me free. If I would but trust it and believe it, that it would transform my life. And listen, what Jesus did on the cross, that decision trumps any decision you'll ever make in this life. Did you hear me? It trumps any decision you can make in faltering. It trumps any decision you can make in a moment of weakness God is greater than my heart do you believe that to me this is why I get back up again when I'm down and my heart wants me to stay down I'm going to remember God is greater than my heart God's greater Eugene Peterson in the message translation paraphrase this is what he said I love it he says listen don't worry when your hearts God is greater than your worried hearts comma and knows more about you than you know about yourself God's greater than your heart. And don't take yourself too seriously because you don't even know you. But God does you. You can get back up again. Oh man, this is the most simple message I've preached in a long, long time. But I'm going to tell you, you can get back up again. You can get back up again. I don't know where you come from this morning, but you can get back up again. Why? Because God's greater than your heart. You can get back up again because God's greater than your dumb decision. God's greater than your emotions that are out of whack. God's greater than your heart that condemns you. God is greater. What does Proverbs 24, 16 say? The righteous man falls seven times. Seven's the number of biblical completion. That means that, that, that you're not just a person who has a spiritual hangnail. You didn't spiritually snub your toe. No, no, no. He's saying you fell completely. That's why God used seven. You are falling completely. You are flat on your back. And, and in other words, you, you have a spiritual fracture. And yet he says the righteous man. The key word in that verse is righteous. Why? Because righteousness speaks of the free gift that we have in Jesus Christ. That if we repent and put faith in Jesus, we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Second Corinthians 5.21, he made him who knew no sin to become sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. The gospel is became become. He became that I might become. He became my sin that I might become his righteousness. Jesus did not die on the cross and say yet there is more to do. No he said it is done and he breathed his last. Why will you rise again? Why will you get back up again? Because I've been made righteous Pastor Craig. Jesus came to this earth. He didn't sin one single time. He took my sin to the grave and now he can make me whole before God. So I'm going to get back up again. I'm going to stand up again. Everyone who has accepted this gift, I want to tell you right now, you listen to me, you have permanent permission to get up again. You have permanent legal license granted from Jesus' death and resurrection to get back up again. Now, 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 this is the part of the sermon we like, right? Woo, I like this sermon, Pastor Craig. I feel good. I feel good. I feel like I could run a marathon, but listen to me. I want to remind you, when I say you can rise again, I also mean the person who abused you can rise again. When I say you can rise again, I also mean the person who sexually abused you at six can rise again. When I say you can rise again, I also mean the person who's deeply abandoned you can rise again. Yeah. See, see, we're really famous in the church about getting excited about this kind of message for our lives personally. But can I just be honest with you? Just honest. We are famous in the church for when people fall, we like to gather around them to inspect their fallenness. Ooh, man, that's a bad decision there. Did that? Wow. Aren't you a leader? Oh, look at what we got there. Looky, looky. We don't gather around to lift them back up. We gather around to inspect their fallenness. 
respect the decisions they made that got them in that predicament. To see what wrong patterns of behavior led them to so fall before. In fact, if they get up too fast, be like, hey, you better stay down a little bit. You better learn something. Touch that stove once, you touch it again, you'll get burned. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Don't you dare try to get up so fast, you'll get a little arrogant. Look at you trying to get back up again. Man, did you see so-and-so, Pastor Craig? They back serving in the kids' ministry. You know what they did last month? Oh, did you see Sister So-and-so? Sister So-and-so up there on the stage, acting like she holy, leading us in worship. I know what she did last summer. Oh, we love it. We love it in the church. Gather around people like Pharisees with rocks in our hand. We love that. We love that portion. Oh, did you see Brother So-and-so? Brother So-and-so doing truck or treat? Are you serious, brother so-and-so doing that? This is what we're famous for. This, is, this message is so great when you apply it personally. But I'd like for you just in the closing to apply it to the person down the road who you kind of like to see stay down. And if, you, if they walk with a limp the rest of their life, you're like, uh-huh, that's right. You better, you better feel that pain for what you did to me. so clearly this week as I was praying I said God let us be the kind of church let us be the kind of what would happen if we were the kind of community who gathered around people who are broken disgusted and beat up and we said come on get up get up let's go let's go I just sinned yesterday I don't care I don't care if you sinned three minutes ago get your tail up right now come here I, I got a, I got a shoulder for you get up get up get up get up get up God believes in you we love you we believe in you let's take another step you ready I know you've been beat up by life I know your lips busted I know you're bleeding out but that's okay let's get up you ready to walk you ready to walk we're gonna take another step what if we were that kind of community in Woodstock Oh, yeah, yeah. It'll get crazy and messy quickly. I pray in the years to come, we're the messiest church in this community. I pray it's a messy church. I pray people look at DP and they're like, Woo, man, at DP, we're letting anyone get back up. I was cool for, like, some cool people and, like, halfway put together. But, like, drug addicts, they getting back up at DP? Are you serious? Like, like, it's almost like we believe the gospel should be applied to everybody. It's almost like we believe the gospel will touch every life. It'll get crazy. I'm telling you, it'll get crazy. Your mind will object. Your mind will want to be religious. It will. It will but God is greater than your heart and the gospel reaches every life and the gospel can touch people right where they're at and listen I pray this is what Jesus said in John 10 29 it's what he said this is what Jesus said you got to understand it come on team he said my father who has given them to me you know what that means you are a gift from the father to Jesus say it with me say I am a gift from the father to Jesus Woo, meditate on that for a day Father to Jesus. Who said that? Jesus. Woo! You talking about some freedom? And my Father is greater than all. John, that sounds a little bit like First John three twenty. God's greater than my heart. Oh, God's just not just greater than your heart. God's greater than all. He greater than all and no one the greek no one is not just no one it's no one and no thing can snatch you out of my father's hand you better listen to me jewish fathers you know what they did when they went to their children like i do every night when i lay them in bed they take their hands they put them on the head of that son that daughter and they invoke the blessing of god and they invoke the power of god listen to me what jesus just told us in john 10 is that when you trust in the son's sacrifice for you God commands the righteousness of himself. He commands the righteousness of God to fall on top of your head because of what Jesus has done for you. And his hand is on you permanently. He doesn't pick up that hand. That hand of blessing is upon you. And he invokes the blessing of you. I'm blessed. I'm blessed. Oh, yeah, I'm blessed. Why? Because nothing and no one can snatch me from the Father's hand. Listen to me. You listen to me carefully. God's righteousness is greater than your heart. God's righteousness is greater than your condemnation your heart that condemns you God's command of the righteousness of Jesus is commanded over your life if you've repented and put faith in Jesus and no one can remove his hand off your life look at me as a pastor I'm biblically bound to the Bible you know that right so I will stand before God and I will receive rewards for how faithful I was to tell you what's in this book I will stand before God whose eyes are like fire that's my job 
I didn't ask for it. That's my calling. That's what Jesus Christ needed to do. Now, you listen to me carefully. Because I'm bound to this book, I can give you permission to quit and to give up on God as soon as He lets go again. The only criteria I can stop praying for you and tell you it's okay to waller and to stay down is the criteria of when Jesus lifts his hand off of you. That's the only way I can allow you to stay down. If God will let go of you, then you can give up. If you can prove to me today in the scripture that your one little bad decision and when your one bad weekend in sin calls the heavenlies to unravel. Oh, we think we're big time, don't we? We think it. We don't say it, but we think, oh, I made a mistake. God, heaven's changed, Pastor Greg. Why? Because I sinned. We think we're big time, don't we? Your bad decision doesn't overpower the eternal work of Jesus Christ on a cross. I, I love you, but you're not that you're not that big. You're not that important. <laughs> we do. We we see it. We're like, oh my God, the host of heaven, and, and now that's eternally established, looks down at my finite linear life, and because of my sin in Atlanta last night. The whole host of heaven is unraveling. The ethos of God is shaken to its core. Jesus is no longer in love. I undid what the gospel says really happened. And we think arrogantly our emotions, our thoughts, and our feelings shake the doctrine of heaven. No, 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 no. God is greater than your heart. God is greater than your thoughts. God is greater than your will. God is greater than your emotions. You're righteous. His hand is upon you. And he won't let go. Sarah, he won't let go. Sometimes you want him to let go. Anybody want him to let go? How's this for Halloween truth? It's called the holy haunting of God. Sometimes you're like, Lord Jesus, would you just please let go for a night? I want to have fun sinning one more time. He's like, nope, won't let go. Sorry, my hand's upon you. Uh, you can keep doing it. I'll stand right here. You'll be miserable. You'll be the suckiest sinner on the planet. Go try to do all you want to do, but your nature is my nature, and my nature will not agree with what you're about to do. So you go do it, but I'll holy haunt you, and I'll keep being right there next to you, and I'll, I'll not let your heart be fulfilled, and I'll keep pulling you to myself. Yo, you can do it. You can try to do it, but it's called the holy haunting of God. That's his spirit. He won't let go. I need to remind you today, you have a license to get back up again. Do you hear me, mama? Do you hear me, son? Oh, I believe in you. I love you, but it's so much more than that. I'm not telling you you can get back up again because I believe you can get back up again. I'm telling you get back up again because Jesus died on a cross and you have right legally before the creation of the world, before the host of heaven. You have legal rights to get off of your back and get back up again. You can leave this day walking. You can leave this day given another chance. You can leave this day saying, I'm going to try again. I need to remind you, you got license. What if we were the church where people in Woodstock said this? This is what I told the Lord in prayer this week. I said, Lord, would you please let us be the church where people in Woodstock say, man, I know where you can go get a second chance again. Woo, that place, DP, man, that's a place where second chance, people get second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth chances. I, I, you, you're down in life. You need to walk again. Oh, man, you need to go to DP. I pray we've got that kind of, that kind of reputation, that kind of rapport. Oh, you, you, you need to get back up again. I pray that people say in our future, I pray they say, you know what? I've never seen somebody get back up and start walking again as fast as they did around that people, around those people who literally love the hell out of people. And I'm talking about hell down there. They love the hell out of people. They love them back to life. Man, I never, I never seen somebody get back up and start walking again as fast as they do when they get around that group of people. I pray that's our rapport. Woo, if I could just get down to DP, man. Woo, somebody love me back to life. I might not have been walking for 32 years, but all of a sudden I'll get my feet back. My calves will get some strength. I get breath in my lungs. Why? Not because of any of you, but because we're a community who understands we can get back up again. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. If you would like more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org.